<laughs> so here we are. We're gonna be in <coughs> a little dry. Another thing to clear here. We're in session five. Jesus includes. We're gonna see that Jesus extends mercy. To all people, we will be in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. That's going to be where the lesson ends. Um, as you know, I sometimes don't agree with the way they do the lessons. Really? Really. <laughs> I think they miss a massive opportunity by starting in verse 24. Um, so I want to spend some time uh, building up to it because the preceding verses is really where the lesson is that Jesus is teaching. And then 24 through 37 is going to illustrate it and illustrate it very well. And I think we, as, especially as Westerners, we miss the illustration, especially since this passage is, comes right after the feeding of the 5,000, which we did last week, followed by Jesus walking on water. And those are two massive miracles that show us who Jesus is. We lose it, lose focus in, in chapter 7 as we do that. And so I'm going to spend some time building up to it, and then we will quickly move through it because that's easy to understand once we have the background. So with that, let us proceed into our background. Last week we did the feeding of five, the 5,000. As we come into chapter 6, right after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus puts everybody out in a boat, tells them to go across the other side. He'll catch up later. He's going to disperse the crowd of nearly 10,000. Uh, this week, Somebody sent me an article, um, I think from the Philadelphia Inquirer, that the largest smorgasbord in the United States is Shady Maple. Shady Maple. Wow, really? It is. It is the largest smorgasbord in the country. And this is what I found interesting. Last week we looked at the feeding of the 5,000. They started out with five loaves, two fishes, and 12 disciples taking it as Jesus continually blessed it and broke it and distributed it to 10,000 plus people. Shady Maple, you've all been there. Has anybody who's not ever been there? Some of us live there. Um, right. They, the building is nearly 100,000 square feet. All right. That facility is nearly 100,000 square feet. It can seat around 1,200 people. That's all that sits, they can feed in one sitting is 1,200 people. In a day, the best they can do is feed 7,000 people in a day. That means they turn the whole building seven times. We saw that Jesus fed more than 10,000 people in, an in, a, in, a, in a short span of time in an afternoon by breaking the bread and all that. That's just incredible when you... I mean, you, you've walked in there. You know what it's like when it's full. And you're, you're looking across a sea of people that are eating and the lines to get the food and how long you got to stand there and wait 
for that Delmonico steak <laughs> while they're good because they're cooking it. And yet, Jesus did the, did the whole thing. To, I mean, did, just give you an idea that miracle. Uh, it, it's just phenomenal when you compare that to the largest smorgasbord in the United States. It doesn't come any bigger than that. Now, granted, they were only eating bread and fish, but that's still impressive. So I just, that's just a, a tidbit from the news. I think that's a shame what it says about our area of the country. We're all about more than shady people. The buffet, right? There's two or three other places, too. Yeah, there's nothing yeah. like a good buffet. Right. <laughs> and if you can't find a good buffet, you can always make one. Just order enough food at a restaurant, ask them for another table. <laughs> I've done it. Been there, done that. Been there, done that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's his? I blame him. <laughs> Somebody's You're got part it. of it. That's so embarrassing. Probably, you know. <laughs> we also closed the same restaurant. Yeah, they're like, can you please go home? Just take it with you. We'll give you extra. <laughs> Look, it's all about the food. <laughs> hey, it ain't me, man. I mean, God, all he's got is banquets prepared for us. I mean, there's always this talk of these banquets that we're going to yeah. go sit at. So are you going to be like, like a, a Borgerson word? I, I don't know. Shady maple on steroids. Shady maple on steroids. Yeah, there you go. Sure. So we're going to see here, uh, chapter 6, that ends, and Jesus then catches up to the disciples like he said he would by walking on water. Then he goes on and he has a big healing ministry in Gennesaret in that town. And so that's it's just this constant action. Mark just keeps moving us along, moving us along. Things going on. We get to chapter 7, and the story slows down a little bit because now we're going to see the hero confront, I don't want to say the villains, but the... Um, yeah, the agitators. As we come into chapter 7, Jesus is going to take up what he considers to be the real problem. And it's traditions versus commandments. Um, and I'm going to read this just because it'll be much easier. Chapter 7, verses 14 through 23, as this sets up what's going to happen. Because we're going to jump right back into the action. So it's this little short teaching passage that Mark includes here because it's vitally important because he's writing to Romans. Romans were what kind of people? Were they Gentile. They're Gentiles. Right. So we're going to deal with traditions versus commandments. Verse 14. And he called the people to him again. And said to them, now the, the Pharisees have, were, were complaining that Jesus wasn't making his disciples wash their hands. And we're not talking about hygiene. They believed in ritual purification, which meant, oh, you didn't bring any eggs today. <laughs> Every week you have eggs. I was going to use one of your eggs to illustrate. Yeah, so you know how big an egg is, right? If you take it and cut it in half, the shell, and take half that egg shell and fill it with water, that's how much water you had to pour over your hands to clean them. So we're not talking about washing your hands. We're talking about purifying them with half an egg shell 
full of water, just pour them over them. And then they purify all the cups and pots and silverware. And you had to have special pots or, or plates that had meat and other plates that had cheese because you can't put the two together. They can't even be in the same room. And they had all these rules and they're going after Jesus. Why do you not make your disciples do this? And this is what he does. He says in verse 14, And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. All right, this is, this is key. This is, Jesus is like, everybody, come here. Let me tell you how it works out, right? That's how important this is. He calls the people. They've been trying to get away from all these people, right? We've spent how many chapters now? Jesus trying to get a break. He can't even eat. And he's trying to eat, and here are the Pharisees, they're, they're berating him. And he's like, all right, that's it, I got enough. Everybody, come in, step, you know, he kind of steps out on the porch and yells into the city. Can, can you imagine the crowds that would show up? Jesus is saying, hey, come here. Yeah. Everybody wants to know what he's got to say. It's like E.F. Hutton, right? I was going to say, how often did he do that? Right, he doesn't do it very often. Everybody come here, verse 15. There is nothing outside a person that by going into them can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. I find that interesting. Jesus is explaining the digestive system versus the cardiovascular system. They don't interact. And so whatever you're eating doesn't go to the heart. It doesn't defile you in such a way. They had no idea how these systems worked. Or very little idea. Very rudimentary. And he's like, you take it in and it goes out. It doesn't go into your heart. It doesn't defile you. Verses, uh, the second part of 19. Thus he declared all food clean. This is before he died. He hasn't died yet. This is before the foundation of the church. These are Jews he's talking to. Food is not what defiles you. So people who today are arguing that we need to go back to the Old Testament and follow the, the food laws and all that, uh, Jesus just made it quite clear, it ain't the food that eats you that's causing your problem. Those food laws were, were, weren't the issue. That's not what defiles you. That's not what is causing your problem. Verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within our, uh, from within, out of our heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within the person and they defile the person. You know, the, the, that whole sediment right there is we find it in, back in Genesis, right? Where? Where do we find that in Genesis? 
evil thoughts. What was their whole purpose in coming to Jesus in this? To trap him. To trap him. The evil thoughts. They're, they're out to get him. Why? Because they're jealous of his popularity. Right. I mean, look at the things that he lists. Evil thoughts. Okay, sexual immorality, maybe not so much with these guys. Theft, they're stealing from their parents. Murder, maybe not. Adultery, I'll bet most of them were having things. Coveting, oh my word, they're coveting all the popularity and power that Jesus is wielding and that he didn't pick any of them to give power to. Remember, this comes hard after the disciples just returned from their first ministry extravaganza. He gave them power and authority to heal and cast out demons. These are mere fishermen. These are just the tax collectors. How dare you give them the right to do these miraculous things? Just think what I could do with it. I'm a Pharisee. I know things. People respect me. I'm honorable. I'm this, I'm that. You didn't give it to me. Right? This is what's going on. And Jesus is like, he's mad. He calls all the people to tell them that, look, these traditions don't do anything for you. Following the commandments of God, that's what does it. Again, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride. And the whole thing is, is wrapped up in foolishness. This is what's going on. So now as we come into the, the passage we're going to look at today, this, is, this event, this is a single event where Jesus calls all the people that are there to him to tell them, this is what's wrong with you all. You're following traditions instead of the clear-cut commands of God. And the whole point is this. What defiles a person? What defiles us? Sin. Right now we got all sorts of ideas in evangelicalism. Uh, they're, they're, I mean, if, I don't know if you're familiar with a lot of churches... But they, they've got all sorts of ideas running around in churches that, well, if you, if you eat pork, we're back to that again. <laughs> if you eat bread, if you do this, if you shop at Target, it defiles you. Does God care one way or the other if you get your uh, you know, box of popcorn at uh, Target or Walmart or Giant or wherever? No, that doesn't defile you. But if you read Facebook, listen to the people <coughs> in churches... You shop at Target, or you shop here, or you go to that, or you see this, or you listen to this kind of music, or all, whatever it is. Those are traditions of men. The question is, is what defiles us. Jesus just laid it out. And we, go ahead. But you do have a responsibility with what God has given you, and you can choose to not support things like Disney. Yeah. That are, that's actively going yes. to children. That, see, that's, that's moral judgment. But not defilement. You're not you're, you're not defiled and burning and going to hell because you watch Cinderella. Thank you, Lord. Right? No, no. Like you said, though, that's a moral judgment. But Paul deals with that for us. That we're supposed to avoid those sorts of things. They were supposed to avoid eating the meat offered in temples. There was nothing wrong with it. But the meat was offered to idols. And if you go to a party and somebody's got it there... You didn't have to say no because it wasn't going to defile you. But you shouldn't go down to the temple and buy it either. See, there, there, there's a difference between moral goodness 
and what defiles a person. And they were calling all of this stuff defilement. They believed that you could not enter the house of a Gentile. It would defile you. You couldn't take money from Gentiles. That's why tax collectors were considered defiled. And all that. Okay, so we, we, we got that. that. That's what's going on. And Jesus isn't just unhappy about it. He's angered. I mean, he's just called all the people, I mean, to, to tell them, look, these traditions, they're stupid. They're not what defile you. Don't listen to the Pharisees. Any last comments or questions before we move on? All right. So, these things don't defile you. They may not be morally right to do. There may be some part of morality, which washing your hands is not really. But other things that are going on. But they don't defile you. They don't make you guilty. Now we come to Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. Somebody go ahead and read that for us. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house that did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast out the demon of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Okay, this is phenomenal, what just happened. And I don't know when the last time was you had somebody teach on it, but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna come back to this in a second because there's so much in here, and like I said, it, it's it comes after these amazing things that Jesus does, the feeding of the five thousand, the walking on the ocean. This kind of gets missed, but I want to look at a few things in here before we come back to that. Let's look at a map. You don't have this map, so you'll have to look up here. Jesus, it says that he left immediately. So he calls everybody, has this whole press conference that he berates the Pharisees in, goes back inside, has a little explanation with his disciples, and then like the next morning they got up and they leave. They are most likely here at Caesarea Philippi because this is just after the walking on the water and all that. That's where he returned to. So he's here. This is where, uh, not Caesarea Philippi, I'm sorry, Capernaum. Down here along the uh, Sea of Galilee. It's kind of his headquarters. He's going to travel up here. Here's Tyre and here's Sidon. Somewhere up here. That ain't close. That's a long way. Now, once you get above this here, this area is all Gentiles. It's not part that he's gone out of the Galilean area. Galilee is the last Jewish area. And we know that it's mostly along here. These roads are included. It, it's, it's this whole area here. This is Galilee. And everything above that is, is, the, uh, is the Gentile area. Tyre, Sidon. 
they're all cities that were Greeks. The Greeks conquered them, and then later on, the Romans. So there, there's nothing Jewish about them. If you were defiled by entering a Gentile's house, what about entering Gentile lands? What are you going to find in Gentile lands? Gentiles. Gentiles. Imagine that. You go to Gentile lands, you're going to find Gentiles. What are they eating in Gentile lands? Pork. Probably pork, yeah. Bacon. Bacon, yeah. But they're eating food that would be considered unclean. Certainly they're using unclean currency. Now, I'm looking at the distance. They go, and they're gone for quite some time. It's a long travel. They're going to pass through a lot of towns. You think that it's not like they went and they didn't eat anything. They didn't drink any of the water. They didn't walk on the dirt. I mean, they went there. He's going to get away from all the people. Remember, this whole thing started several chapters ago. They're trying to get some rest. And every time they leave, they go somewhere, what happens? People follow. People show up. And this has been going on and on and on. Finally, Jesus says, let's go. We're going to go somewhere else. But he's also making the point. Going to Tyre and Sidon, don't defile him. He is not defiled by being in Gentile areas. This woman comes to him, and she's a Gentile. We're going to talk about the conversation in a minute. They go up here into this area. They come back. And the next, the next, we're not going to get into it, but he's going to go to Caesarea Philippi. I've been there. It is an interesting city. You know what they worshipped in Caesarea Philippi? Baal? Nope. Goats. Pan. The god Pan. They have... Dancing. I think I showed pictures of it. There was a temple as you came in the city gate, and you would go and you would get a goat and bring it to the temple. And when you would show up, you couldn't hear it, but there was music playing in a, in a cavern under the temple. And the goats had been trained to dance when they heard the music. So you would come to the temple with your goat, and the goat would start dancing, and they'd be... It's the spirit of Pan. Praise the, you know, the, the, the God or whatever they called him. And all that. Look at this goat and it's dancing and all that. And you would take your goat and go over and there was a hole. Now, this hole, anybody know what the name of this hole was called? The gates of hell. This is where Jesus tells Peter, the gates of hell will not prevail. There's Literally, this is a place where this is the gates of hell. And it was full of water. It was this pool that was exceedingly deep. And you take the goat and you throw it into the pool and it splashes around and it drowns. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and if it floats, <coughs> if it floats, well, Pan didn't accept your offering. And you got to do it again. Which means you got to go back outside, buy another goat, see if it would dance, and then chuck it in. Now, the thing is, is that they would sink when they drown. Now, what happens after a few hours when something drowns? 
they float. So what they would do is at night they close the temple and all the goat, dead goats would float to the top. They'd scrape them off and they, they had a, a place where they would just throw them um, in a hole next to the thing. They found all the bodies of all the dead goats in an archaeological excavation because the goats would float to the top. They knew. They, the, the whole thing was a setup. But that's what's going on in Philippi. Jesus is going to go there. And he's going to have a whole thing with Peter and all that there. You can read about it in the, in the preceding, post-seeing chapters. Anyway. And then he's going to come back and it says that they're, we're going to see it in this, in this. They return to Decapolis. Anybody know Decapolis, what that is? Ten cities. Ten cities. It is a Greek ten cities that were banded together. More Gentiles. All right. So Jesus is going to leave Capernaum and travel through and stay in Gentile areas, trying to avoid all the crowds, um, probably for a month, two months, um, and all that. And he's not concerned about it. No rabbi in their right mind would do such a thing because, well, according to the elders, it would defile you. That would be total and complete defilement. But that's part of the elders' ideas, not the commandments of God. And what we need to remember is Jesus kept all the commandments of God, and God never said that you couldn't go and talk to Gentiles or you know, be friends with them or whatnot. We know that David went and lived with the Philistines. And David was given the bread off the table of showbread from the temple to eat. So if he was defiled from being with the, the Philistines and all that, why would it be okay to eat the, the, the holy bread, right? There's so much of that stuff. And we start looking at it going, well, wait a second. They've got it all wrong. But that's where, he, that's where he's going. That's what's happening. That is an illustration of what he just taught. I'm not going to be defiled by going there. I'm going there to get some rest because I need it. And off he goes into the Gentile areas. Now, we see that there's a problem. He runs into the dejected woman. We're still in part two of our outline of Mark. This is Jesus' ministry in Galilee. It's still part of that. And Jesus is going to go off, and he's trying to get off grid because the people just won't let him rest. They won't let the disciples rest. They are human. They need a break. And it says that when he got there, uh, verse 25, immediately a woman whose little daughter, now based on the word that's used there, she's probably in her late teens, maybe early 20s. So her little daughter um, had an unclean spirit. And she comes and she falls down at Jesus' feet. Now, what does that tell us she's doing? She's come and worshipped him. She understands who he is. She may not know that he's the son of God, but that he is someone so far above her, she comes and worships. And they have this whole conversation where God, or Jesus calls her dog. Now it's interesting, the word chosen here, was. it's interesting because we, we only have one word for dog. Only the Greeks would have more than one word. <laughs> they, they've, they've got two. One is the 
wild, free-ranging animals that, you know, run in packs in the streets and eat garbage and all that. And then there's the domesticated house, you know, version of the dog. And that's what he uses here. The domesticated, you know, the cute little puppy, that word for dog. And says, uh, verse 27, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And then she answers, yes, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. This is actually a, a Gentile saying that they're quoting, that they're talking about. And um, the idea here is the children Jesus is referring to are who? Israel. Israel. I have come for Israel, not, not you. And we see that she responds to him. Now, she's worshiping. She's bowed at him. She recognizes her station in relation to him. This is a man who has authority over demons. She's a Gentile. They understand demons. They fear them. Or they try to control them if they're sorcerers and whatnot. They know that they are powerful. They understand that. Here's a, here stands a man who in a word commands them to leave. She knows who he is. And we saw on the map, this isn't a close area. But if we go back a couple chapters, we saw that people were gathering from Tyre and Sidon, weren't they? Mm -hmm. Jesus' fame had spread. He thinks he's going to be safe. He's going to be off grid. But his, his, his spread, his fame has spread that far away. That these people come looking for him. He shows up in the region and this woman immediately comes for the sake of her daughter. And we see her great faith as she comes back. It's not a quick wit. Some people think that this is her quick wit. No, this is understanding. Because Jesus' response is that she has great faith. We only see this one other place. Anybody know the story? The Samaritan woman the woman nope. with the issue of blood? Nope. Go ahead. Centurion. The centurion. The Gentile centurion comes and says, just say it and I know it will be done. And Jesus said, why can't I find great faith like this among the nation of Israel? It was a Gentile, a centurion, a guard. Here's this woman, same thing. Just, just, just say it. I know who you are. And she understands. Now it is interesting... There is another miracle that was done in this region by another holy man centuries before. Anybody recall? Elijah. Yeah. The bread. The, the woman of Zareth. Yeah. She was from Tyre and Sidon. She's from that area. He went there, stayed with her. You got to wonder, did they... Did they understand? Was there a memory of such things that a man of God, a Jewish man, came? God loves the Gentiles. There's this whole idea that we're an afterthought, that we were the second plan B and all that. But we're not. This was always the plan. I mean, if we go all the way back to Abraham, it was promised that the whole world would be blessed. All the families of the world. 
We were never a plan B as the Gentiles. And Jesus, we see now, I, I didn't put up the little chart this morning of his authority and his compassion. But this is another example of his compassion. Jesus has compassion on the Gentiles. The idea that, that he came to save the whole world, we sometimes gets that idea gets lost. He came even for the Jews and all that, and they rejected him, and so then he offered it to us. No, he had compassion for the Gentiles before. This woman, he, he has compassion on her and says, she says that yet the dogs under the table still get to eat the crumbs of the children. So she's asking for is, Lord, just give me some crumbs of your greatness. I know that you have to feed the children, that the children are Israel. She understands the whole thing that's going on here. And <clears throat> that great faith leads to a total healing of her daughter. He never goes, he never meets, he never sees her. He just says it's done. And she believes. And she goes away and she gets home. And the child is, is healed. That's amazing. And it shows us he doesn't feel defiled dealing with her, does he? Yeah, and there's going to be the Samaritan woman, which that would have defiled him. Do we see the practice here? It's not associating with the wrong kind of people. Our churches today, oh, you, you, you can't talk to those people. They hang out in bars. They ride motorcycles. They, they have unkept hair. <laughs> they have long hair. They have whatever it is. They go to movies. Yeah. Yeah. They play cards. They have earrings. <laughs> Maybe it's on the wrong ear. <laughs> Associating with them doesn't defile you regardless of what other people say in the church. Because those people have made traditions that aren't what God is talking about. This is Jesus living it. See, the problem is the Pharisees might say something like this, but they would never do it. I would never do it, but yes, it's okay. You shouldn't, you shouldn't eat that, but it's not wrong, but I would never do it. See that, that sort of thing? That, that's, that, no. Jesus talks to them. I mean, come on, he's made one of the tax collectors one of his disciples. That was bad enough. But now, now he's talking and dealing with Gentiles. And a Gentile woman at that. Go ahead. I was going to say, the, one of the um, reasons I guess I always liked that story was almost like a test. And how she defends her faith. You know, um, in that story where he says, I didn't come for you. But she said, yeah, even I have that right. Yeah, I have that right. She claims it. Mm -hmm. I have the right to be blessed by the nation. Because God said that's what was going to happen back in Genesis. Yeah, she begged him. Yeah. Yeah. She's she knows it. All right. Last chance for questions. <clears throat> Carl, is that a that's a I want to ask a question, but I don't want to interrupt. <laughs> I have nothing to say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just saw I saw the hand go on like this. I just wasn't sure. All right. Mark chapter seven verses thirty one through thirty five. Somebody read that. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. 
and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephrathah, that is, be opened. <coughs> and his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Again, the, uh, another illustration of the lesson that he just made the point of in the early part of chapter 7. We come and uh, we find this guy. He's deaf and mute, or not quite mute. He has a speech impediment of some sort. Something's not right with this guy. Maybe he had a stroke. Don't know. But they bring him to Jesus. They're in the Decapolis. What kind of person do you think he is? Probably Greek. Now, he might have been a Jew. It's possible that he was Jew. Jews did live there. But this is a Gentile area. Probably a Gentile of some sort. So we see this deaf guy is in a Gentile region. Again, this is another one of those miracles that we often just blow by. It's not exciting. But it is when we understand its context. This is a Gentile region. Why does he take him aside out of the sight of everybody? Okay, to avoid inciting the crowds to follow him. To try to keep it more secret. To try and keep it more secret. These are good answers. But there's there's an even deeper answer. So that people would not follow him because of his healing? That's also true. He didn't want the Gentiles to be following him. Yet. Yet. <laughs> but that's... If they saw the miracle, then they would be liable for the lack of belief. They would be condemned. as a, Because remember, Jesus condemns the Jews. Yeah. That it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for them. Because he did all those miracles in their viewing. In their presence. Jesus takes this guy outside. Not just because... He doesn't want the Gentiles following him because they would overwhelm the Jews. But also to save them from judgment, from having seen the miraculous and not necessarily believed. Because they weren't looking for a Messiah yet. They weren't looking for somebody to save them. Whereas the Jews have been waiting. And he shows up and they reject him. Also think about it that when they go to crucify him, if the Gentiles were believing and following, it would probably stir war. Could you imagine the Gentile believers yeah. saying, wait, you're not crucifying our, our Messiah, our Savior. The, the war that would ensue, could you imagine that? They outnumber them. They would overwhelm Jerusalem in, in minutes. But then Jesus wouldn't have died and he couldn't have been resurrected. Right. See, there's a lot more going on here. We've got to think through the whole thing. So he's in this Gentile region. He still is getting no rest, is he? He goes into the area, this region where he supposedly isn't going to be known. And he's known. And they show up. And they want a miracle for their friend who's deaf and all that. And so Jesus does it. He goes out of sight from the healing. Yes, so that they don't see and that all of this 
won't happen, but so that they also won't be judged for what they knew. Which, again, this brings up the whole idea that those who know will be judged more harshly than those who don't know. I often get that question. Well, what about the aborigine in the middle of nowhere who's never heard or seen a Bible? They're going to be judged. Somehow God grades and judges based on what people know. What, what um, not knowledge, but what? Exposure. Exposure. Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. Exposure to him they've had. Those who only have the natural revelation of the world and everything will be judged based on that because the heavens claim his glory. And those who've had his scriptures at their fingertips their entire lives, yeah, they're going to pay a much heavier price for rejecting him. So he does it out of sight, this healing. So deep. It is. There's so much there. And we just skip over it usually when we're reading through this because, wow, the feeding of the 5,000. Wow, he walked on water. Wow. And it's like this, this he's calling a woman a dog and all that. And we just right past it. But there's so much depth here because the disciples are going to have to deal with this after he dies. And they're going to have to remember this, which is what happens. We see that Peter, it comes back to him. He remembers and deals with it. And they've got to deal with this as the church begins to form. Jesus was for the, for the Gentiles. It is okay that Gentiles become Christians. And they didn't have to become Jews to be blessed even. Mm -hmm. And there's so much because it all comes from here. All right. Last chance. Questions? How in the world could they keep all of this in their head? I have no idea. That is so, that's part of the miraculousness that we have it. And that they told it the same way over and over and over again. Because every time we find another copy, another translation, it's the same thing. And everybody that tells the story, other people that have written the stories, they told the same stories, the same way, with the same point and focus. He's got a fire hose. Right? <laughs> yeah. God, God knew what he was doing, and that's why his word will never pass away. Well, some Sundays, uh, too much is given, much is required. Yeah. You bring up points and everything. That's another thing I got to do. Tell him to stop, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. And I don't apologize because you know what? I'm liable for it because I've already know it. I'm passing it on to you. That's my responsibility. Yeah. So Jesus loved them, the Gentiles, so much yeah. that he would. He was trying to save them then. Yeah. Yeah. He's saving them from his, from the judgment that they would have to answer for if they saw the miracle. Wow. That's just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We just don't get it. We, we don't understand God's economy. Well, when you, uh, near the end, you always say, here's something to take home with you. Just, just give me half of that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we get to dessert, and you, can, you only want a little. You want just the tip of the cheesecake. You don't need the whole slice. You need to negotiate a little harder here, Mike. All right, one more. Let's look at uh, Mark chapter seven, verses thirty-six and thirty-seven. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, "He has done all things well." He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Which, there's a whole, we, we can spend another hour discussing that because this is, this comes out of the Old Testament as a prophecy that when the Messiah comes that this is what would happen, that he would make the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. That, that, that's a prophecy right out of the Old Testament. Here it is. 
He's doing it. And he just did it to Gentiles. Yeah. But there's this whole dumbfounded mentality. Don't tell anybody. And they're all looking at him going, why? <laughs> Everybody's thinking this. Everybody, I'm sure. Why shouldn't we go out and tell? Do you know how much we can capitalize on this? Right. We're in the Gentiles. These guys, did the capitalists, they were rich. They had big money in comparison to the Jewish cities. Capernaum was poor. It was like that was the ghetto slums, and this was uptown Manhattan. We could, we, we, we could do, do you know how much more we could do? The thing we've got to remember, this whole thing, yes, he's gone to the Gentiles. He's gone to the rich cities. Tyre and Sidon were the great ports. Everything that was shipped from Europe to here came through those ports. They had big money. Tyre, you realize Tyre was uh, an island. And the city was built on the island with its ports. And the money that flowed through there because it was the quickest way to get stuff to the Greek markets. Over land, you had to deal with robbers and, and stuff like that. Overseas, pirates weren't a real big thing at this point because people were afraid of the ocean. Shipping was quick, easy. And if you knew, the Phoenicians were the great pilots of the day. So that Alexander the Great, when he came to conquer, they... They're like, oh, we're on an island. Ha ha, you can't get us. He spent months filling it in and made it into a peninsula so he could march his armies to the gates. And he, and he took it out. Money. They had huge money. Why? Why not tell these people? Do you know how much they would give to this ministry? Do you know what kind of stuff we could do with that much money? Here's, I'm sure a part of it was also that we don't have to rely on that because guy's still going to provide for us. Sure. But still, why? <laughs> why? There it is. Jesus is still on mission. His mission was to come to die. He came to die. If he started in these Gentile areas and allowed them to follow him, his death would never have happened. They would have rose up. They would have stopped. Could you imagine if Pilate had become a believer? I mean, we cheer for him. We watch with the whole interaction with Jesus. And he's that close. And you're like, just, just believe. But if he doesn't, Pilate doesn't execute him, does he? It's part of the plan. Jesus is on mission. He knows what has to happen. We see it in the Garden of Gethsemane. He doesn't want to die. But he knows it has to happen. And Lord, do what you need to do. Is his saying. That's phenomenal. When we understand, from a human perspective, this would have been huge. It's like any of the great rock bands when they go to that one and they do that one concert where they're discovered and they become the sensational. Rolling Stones are going to be in Philadelphia this summer. <laughs> they so the AARP. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing. They have, I think they had, I think it's 60 some thousand tickets. They sold out in 15 seconds. 15 seconds? 15 wow. seconds. All the tickets were gone. The sellout was unbelievable. It's called the Steel Wheelchair Tour. 
But Jesus understood that. Imagine that he showed up. He's healing everybody and all that. How fast would those tickets go? Yeah. The problem is, is that he needs the people to hate him and want him dead so that they will crucify him. That's what has to happen because that's what salvation is. He's paying the price for our sin. And he understands it and he knows it. And so he's avoiding the very thing that every one of us looks at and wants. The recognition, the popularity, the money, the wealth, the power. Let's look at a little uh, doctrine this morning. The sacredness of human personality is evident in that God created man in his own image and in that Christ died for man. Therefore, every person of every race possesses the full dignity and is worthy of respect and Christian love. There have been times and periods in our history I regret to say that we have not believed this. That we as even Americans did not believe that every man, every person had been made in the image of God and worthy of full dignity and respect. And that even Christians themselves didn't offer love. That's pretty sad as we see just how far Jesus goes in his own day to show the love that he had for all mankind as he heals Gentiles even. <coughs> all that. It is a sacredness. And we're quick to talk about this sacred human personality when we're talking about abortion and ignore it when it comes to human rights infractions when we're dealing with who makes our shoes and how they're treated, or whether or not it's acceptable to use rape and all of that as a weapon of terror in other countries. We, we, we're like, well, that's just the way they are. Either this is true in every instance, dealing with every person, or it's not. and has no value whatsoever. We, we, we cannot pick and choose where we want to apply this. That's what makes this a doctrine. That's what makes this God's law for man. And we see it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And your Christian brother, love them even more than you loved your neighbor. And more completely. If you take nothing else, let that sink in and take that home as you watch the news and think through all that's going on in our world today and what you're supporting and who you're backing. This is where it goes to what my brother was saying about the moral imperatives. If this is true, how are we doing this? Are we supporting institutions and things that are breaking this? Only you can decide. I'm not going to make rules and all that as they did. You've got to answer, not me, for it. Comment, question. All right, a couple things then to take home with us, if that wasn't enough. <laughs> you can leave now. <laughs> we should offer the hope of Jesus to social outcasts 
And the world is getting full of them right now. There's a lot of it. And we need to remember that the people on the other side of the aisle aren't our enemies. Sin is our enemy. Satan is our enemy, not those people. They're lost. They are being held captive by the enemy. We need to rescue them, which means we need to reach out with love. Secondly, we must show care to people with challenges. Some of the times the challenges are obvious. People with mental issues. Sometimes the challenges aren't there because they're emotional scarring. And they maybe look like they're holding up. There are a lot of people that are just battered and bruised from things in their backgrounds. They have challenges and they may look fine, but they're not. We've got to show care to these people. The quick, uh, hey, how's it going? And you keep walking by. It doesn't cover it. That doesn't show care. They've gotten good at hiding it. They've gotten good at hiding it. We need to be loving enough to bring it out. We must show care for people with challenges, which means we need to care about people. And then lastly, we must remain focused on the redemption provided to all through Jesus alone. Yes, there's so much we can do to help feed people and shelter people and clothe people. We've got to stay on that mission. That's what Mark keeps pushing us to. Jesus had a mission. He knew what it was. And we have a mission, and it's to bring people to Christ. Yes, we need to do these things, but they need to be part of bringing people to where Jesus is. So we must remain focused on the redemption provided to all through Jesus alone. And that is the end of this lesson. Let's close. Father, there's so much depth in all the parts that are in these Gospels and some things get skipped over for the more excitement. Lord, I pray that as we look at this lesson, we take it to heart this week, this year, this month, especially in this time of season. Lord, help us to care for those that may not believe as we do, that may sit on the other side of the aisle or may have issues. Lord, help us to show your love through them and that it's for the purpose of bringing them to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.